Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Well, if you are here last Sunday, we began a four-week series on the book of Proverbs entitled Words to the Wise. The idea is to just give us a taste of the book of Proverbs uh, during the summer. And last week, I began teaching on the subject of the fear of the Lord. And today is part two of this um, lesson on the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9 and 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And last week, I made the point that you cannot be truly wise unless you fear the Lord. There's no true wisdom in the world that's separate from knowing and fearing the Lord. And if you missed last week, you can, you can um, listen to it or watch it on our YouTube channel or listen to it on the website. Last week, I, I reminded us that the fear of the Lord means to have an accurate understanding of who God is from the Bible. A, a belief, a trust that He is holy, that He is good, that He is wise, that He is king and in charge. And through Christ, we don't have to fear His judgment eternally, but He is still holy and just and to be worshipped and praised. And admittedly, the fear of the Lord is, is kind of a, a hard subject to get our minds around. Last week I talked about when we use the word fear normally, it's a bad thing. When the Bible uses the phrase the fear of the Lord, it's a very good thing for Christians. But because it's confusing, I wanted to begin with a, maybe a, a practical illustration just to help our minds understand what, what the fear of the Lord is and what it isn't. So I'm going to use my dad and my relationship with my dad um, as a way to illustrate this. So my dad, um, loving dad, a kind dad, a fun dad, uh, growing up we would go fishing and crabbing and do a lot of fun things. But he was a hard worker, and one of his rules was always you do work before you play. And you always had to be on time. He was kind of a stickler with time and hard work. Well, when I was about 15, I had several lawn mowing jobs that I would do just to make money and um, at various places around our neighborhood and community. And one day I woke up and I thought, I'd rather play basketball at my, my friend Brent Peter's house than um, mow, mow the lawn today that I was supposed to for this lady, Rachel. And I gave my dad the impression that the lawn was taken care of. Um, so you could call that a lie. Uh, and so there I went to Brent Peter's house. We're playing basketball in the driveway, ferocious game of one-on-one -on -one basketball. And in comes my dad's Mercury Marquis station wagon with the fake wood paneling on the side, rolling into the driveway nice and slow. We make eye contact. I get in the car. <laughs> my dad was never a yeller. Still to this day, he's really never a yeller at all. Um, and within a few minutes after getting into the car, I had a lawnmower in my hand pushing the lawnmower. Not a lot of words were exchanged. Well, what happened there? My dad is a loving dad who is preparing me for life, to be an adult one day, to be a responsible adult, to, to um, fulfill my obligations. 
I, I, when I saw my dad, I didn't cower like he was going to harm me. I didn't fear that, um, you know, something terrible was going to happen. I knew I was in trouble. I knew I was guilty. But I knew, especially as I got older, that he did those kind of things out of love and care for me. So he had good parameters, guide rails for me as a dad. And at times I would jump out of those guardrails and he would come and pursue me and bring me back into those guardrails. That's a picture of, for a Christian, someone who has placed their trust in Jesus Christ, that's how we relate to the Lord. He is good. He is a father to us. He cares for us, but he gives us commands and guidelines to live by. And when we jump the rails, he is still to be feared. Not in the eternal wrath sense, but in the, hey, you need to get back in to the safety guide rails that the Lord has placed upon you. So last week, I made the, the big statement, the big idea last week is to be truly wise, we must fear the Lord. This week, that statement last week is still true, but this week the big focus is to be truly happy and free, we must fear the Lord. To be truly happy and free. I want you to associate the phrase, the fear of the Lord, with joy with happiness, with freedom. Because we're going to see from some of these scriptures that there is true happiness and joy when we live for the Lord and live according to His ways. All we're going to do this morning is answer two questions. What are the blessings we receive when we fear the Lord? And how do we grow in the fear of the Lord? What are the blessings and how do we grow? A couple scriptures just to stir us. First one, Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 14.27a, 14, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Proverbs 28.14a, blessed, happy, content is the one who fears the Lord always. Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. See, the fear of the Lord is a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. And as I said last week, there are hundreds of scriptures in the Bible that talk about the fear of the Lord. So I encourage you to study on your own. So first question, what are the blessings we receive when we fear the Lord? When we live aware of who He is in all His glory and splendor? First one, the fear of the Lord will result in joy, peace, and happiness. The fear of the Lord will result in joy, peace, and happiness. Proverbs 14.27 again. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. See, we're talking in terms of relationship. This isn't like a cold intellectual thing. This is a, I know the God of heaven and earth personally because I've trusted in his son. He has adopted me as his son or daughter. And I want to know him more and more. And I want to enjoy him more and more. And I want to live for him more and more. And as we do that, there will be joy and peace that is different than anything else you could ever experience. There will be refreshment. There will be life that will well up from the inside of you because of the Holy Spirit. The opposite is also true. 
If you live life on your terms, Christian or not Christian, here's the inevitable path. There will be pain, misery, regret, shame, guilt, a bothered conscience, and a lack of freedom. One of the first things I experienced as a new Christian and when I started to obey the Lord and turn from my sins was a clear conscience that I no longer was lying. I was no longer covering up lies. I was no longer worried about a lie on top of a lie on top of a lie. I was free as I walked in the fear of the Lord. That, that is a wonderful, wonderful gift from the Lord. Proverbs twenty-eight fourteen says, Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always. Blessed. It's the same word as Psalm 1 where it says, Blessed is the man who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. Happy. And this isn't like a superficial happy. This is a deep, lasting joy. When you live aware of the Lord and you are seeking to live for Him, it truly is a happy life whether you have a lot or whether you have little. See, when we live for the Lord and aware of the Lord, our hearts stay soft. They're pliable. We're teachable. We're growing in humility. When we turn towards our own ways and turn back towards sin, our hearts become hardened, even as Christians. A few months ago, I was doing a bathroom project in, in my house, and I've been tiling. We did all these little subway tiles, which I wouldn't recommend these little tiles because it takes forever. But I had never, I tiled a floor before and did grout on the floor, but I had never done walls before. So the day came where I was to grout it and to, you know, kind of the finishing touches. So I mixed the grout, and what I did, because I wanted to get it done, is I mixed way too much, and I put it on all three sides at the same time. And if you've ever done something like that, it begins to harden rather quickly. And so I had my arms moving. I was sweating so bad. I was moving, 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 trying to keep up with it because once it gets hard, it doesn't, doesn't work properly. And I was trying to do way too much. And, and it, I couldn't work with it anymore because it was hard. Well, if you're the Lord, when his kids begin to rebel and turn and close this book for prolonged periods of time, our hearts become like that. We're still as kids, but we become hardened. We become cold towards Him. And that's not a good life. That's not a joyful life. That's not experiencing the peace that Christ has purchased for us. See, He wants our hearts to be soft and pliable. Wants us to be like grout when it's perfectly mixed. It, the one direction says it's supposed to look like mayonnaise. And then I'm thinking, how does mayonnaise look? It's nice and soft and pliable. Um, that's how the Lord wants our hearts. Proverbs also gives a warning, uh, a promise and a warning. In Proverbs 10:27, the fear of the Lord prolongs life. The fear of the Lord prolongs life. But the years of the wicked will be short. The fear of the Lord. Those who live for the Lord. It, it has this life prolonging part to it. Now this is a general principle. It's not an absolute law. So 
it doesn't mean if someone dies young, they didn't fear the Lord necessarily or they've lived in rebellion. But it's saying generally this is a true statement. That the fear of the Lord, living for the Lord, prolongs life. Kevin alluded to this a little bit, but when I was a teenager, I deeply indulged in all kinds of sinful behavior, uh, including alcohol abuse, drug use, um, and everything that went with that. And one of my, I had many anthems that usually came from music that I lived by during those times as a teenager. One of my favorites at the time was a, a lyric from The Grateful Dead um, that, that had the line that said this, I might be going to hell in a bucket, but at least I'm enjoying the ride. I might be going to hell in a bucket, but at least I'm enjoying the ride. That was, that was a teenage anthem for me. Okay, so what? I didn't understand who God was. I didn't understand the gravity of hell that awaited me apart from Christ. And so that, that was my anthem. And if you would have met me as a teenager and asked me about my future, I would have said with great assurity that I will never live past my 20s. I was certain of it. And I didn't really care. And my friends were certain of it. And they didn't really care. My my friend that um, introduced me to one of the primary people that introduced me to the lifestyle that I, I quickly got ensnared in. Um, I went to his funeral years ago. He died from a heroin overdose. And all my, my party buddies were there drunk at the funeral. Um, I was a Christian by that point. But I would have been no different. One of the reasons Kevin was mentioning to Craig... Um, that having an older man is encouraging at the, the rehabs in the halfway houses is because there are not many men at those facilities that are older than me. I'm 42 years old, so I'm often one of the older people in the room. And the sad reality is um, many die and don't make it. Um, and so it's not a older man's thing. It's a younger man's thing. And so there is real warning and real blessing that when we live for the Lord, there's a preserving effect of that. So what are some of the benefits, other benefits? The fear of the Lord motivates us towards obedience. See, you've got to get rid of the idea that the word obedience is a bad word. Obedience, according to the Bible, when we obey the Lord, it's a good thing and it's for our good. He is not trying to steal joy and pleasure and fun and make us miserable people. No, he's trying to protect us and keep us safe, just like my dad was when he rolled in in his station wagon. See, the fear of the Lord is to motivate us. Psalm 128 1 says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his way. Everyone will be blessed who lives for the Lord. Proverbs 14.2 says, Whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his ways despises him. Whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord. So if you are walking and seeking to obey the Lord, not perfectly, but that's your heart's desire, you're walking in the fear of the Lord. If you're devious, if you're sneaky, if you're hiding sin, secret sin on a regular basis, his ways despise him. Now, when we're doing those things or you're doing those things, you're not thinking, 
I despise God. I hate God at this moment. But think about it from, from this vantage point. If you're a parent, and imagine your kids wake up every morning, and they say, good morning, Mom. Good morning, Dad. They have breakfast with you. Um, we'll call it the, the greeting version of op- you know, having your devotions in the morning. But then all day, they just rebel against you. They rebel against what you set up for them. They, they don't do anything you ask them to do. They, they speak very poorly of you. They, they, they lie to you. They steal from you. They, they um, do everything contrary to what you would want them to do as your son or daughter. Their words then ring hollow, don't they? Because it's in our actions that we show what our, our true feelings are, our true motives are. And so if you are living a double life, the, the only one you're harming, you're harming the Lord, you're sinning against Him, you might be sinning against others, but you're also harming yourself. And you need to come clean. It's miserable to live a double life. It's miserable to be trapped in sin. And the Lord wants you to have freedom. He sent His Son to set you free. And so the the pathway to freedom is confession and repentance and turning from your sin. And He will give you power. And maybe for some of you, you just need to crack the door. I'm, I'm guilty. I need help. Free me, Lord. Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. One of my prayers early on as a new Christian was, Lord, help me to hate the sins that I used to love. Give me a hatred for them. I want to hate them like you hate them. Came across this quote um, in preparing for the last two weeks. Um, This was... Um, Ray Ortland Jr. wrote a post and he's quoting C.S. Lewis at the beginning but I just thought it was extremely insightful. He said this, The fear of the Lord gains an appeal as we agree with C.S. Lewis that in God you come up against something that is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. In God you come up against something that is immeasurably superior in every way God is greater than we are. If we think we can live a single day of our lives without staying low before the Lord, yielding to His superior wisdom and drawing upon His endless provision moment by moment, we are deceiving ourselves, no matter how brilliant we may be. In other words, the most brilliant atheist in the world is completely dependent on the Lord He or she just doesn't realize it. The Lord is far greater in every way. But as soon as we accept that we are not the measure, but the measured. We're not the standard, but we're the ones being measured by God's perfect standard. We are not the givers, but we're the recipients. And that Jesus Christ is the universe's greatest expert in all things human. We embark on a wonderful new journey. We are free to grow and change. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, says Ray Ortland Jr. See, as we recognize the greatness of Christ, it will give us freedom to live and pursue Him.
I mentioned this last week, so I'll just hit this quickly. The fear of the Lord will give you strong confidence. Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Those who practice it have a good understanding. We, we grow. We can grow in wisdom. Um, the next one says, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. To the degree we grow in the fear of the Lord is the degree we'll have confidence before the Lord. Okay, now I'm going to read a quote that's going to sound like a riddle. So pay really close attention. If you have a cup of coffee, take a swig real quick. Okay, you ready? John Bloom wrote this. If I feared, the, if I feared less, I would love more, both God and people. But it is true, it is just as true that if I feared more, I would love more, both God and people. If I feared less... I would love more, both God and people. But it's just as true that if I feared more, I would love more, both God and people. Did you catch that? He's talking about two different kinds of fear. If I feared man less, what people think about me, I would love more. I would be more useful for him. But if I feared the Lord more... I would love more. I would love God more, and I would love people more. See, we all fear something, but it's the object of our fear that makes it all the difference in the world. We want to fear the Lord, and then we're free to love God and love others. The fear of the Lord will drive out all other fears. The psalmist says this, When I am afraid... I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. See, when we know who our Father really is, how powerful and mighty and majestic He really is, it will shrink the other things that tempt us to fear. They will shrink and get smaller and smaller as he gets larger and larger. Psalm 34, 11 says, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. We can grow in our understanding of God's character and what it means to fear the Lord. Last question. How do we grow in the fear of the Lord? How do we grow? Well, the fear of the Lord begins with knowing the God of the Bible. So it's highly relational. It's more relational than it is intellectual. It certainly affects our mind, but it affects our heart and our relationship with Him. Psalm 133 and 4 says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who can stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. See, there's this relational aspect. I remember when I first, the lights came on in my mind and heart, and I realized all my sins, past, present, future, were paid for in full by the blood of Jesus Christ, by his substitutionary death for me. It changed everything. And I was all in for the Lord. But it made me lay low before the Lord. It didn't make me 
proud and puffed up, it made me like the psalmist. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. So if you're not a Christian, the starting place is a relationship with Jesus Christ. is turning and trusting in Him. If you are a Christian, spend a lot of time meditating on what He has done for you in Jesus Christ. Spend a lot of time thinking about Jesus' perfect life of obedience and rejection of temptation in every way and then suffering the cross, then rising from the dead, and then somehow we have the resurrection power of Christ inside of us. It will change you. It will change your confidence in approaching the Lord. It will change your desire to fear Him and live for Him. Make that a regular part of your spiritual diet. The fear of the Lord is cultivated by reading, believing, and meditating on the whole of Scripture by reading, but not just reading, actually believing it. It's true. Trusting in it. And then you're thinking about it. And you're asking the Holy Spirit to help you to apply it. As you do that, week after week, month after month, year after year, with faith, you will grow in your awareness and your desire to live for the fear of the Lord. Zach, I'm going to skip that big Psalm 147. If you're taking notes, write down Psalm 147 and look it up. The last thing I want to draw our attention to is the fear of the Lord is cultivated by regular praise and worship to Him. Regular singing and delighting in Him. I think singing is one of those things that we can take for granted. But nothing tunes my heart and mind like singing to the Lord. I love hearing preaching. I love reading the Bible. I love reading good books by Christian authors. But there's something different when we especially gather as a congregation and we sing to the Lord collectively as a group. And one of the advantages that I have as a pastor is I know some of the struggles that you all have in trials and suffering and to see you still praising worshiping and in many ways submitting to the Lord's difficulties in your life and still giving him praise it builds up others around you so a way to grow is to sing to the Lord both as a church and in private Psalm 96 1 and 2 says this oh sing to the Lord a new song sing to the Lord all the earth Sing to the Lord, bless His name, tell of His salvation from day after day. See, the Lord is always worthy of praise and delight and singing too because of who He is, because of how great and awesome and powerful He is. Congregational singing is an incredible gift from the Lord. And every member of the worship team, projection team, sound every aspect of Sunday morning that, that needs to happen for us to be able to sing corporately. The hearts and minds of the men and women and teens that, that do that is one of worship. It's not that we would just sing along, but that we would encounter the living God as we sing to Him. 
And so it's a wonderful way to grow in knowing and enjoying the Lord. So I'm going to pray. Let's all stand, and then we're going to sing to the Lord. You, uh, the worship band can come on up. Father, thank you that you are our Father, and you are mighty and powerful and loving and kind and holy and awesome. And we are the recipient of so many gifts and blessings from you. Lord, may our hearts be filled with gratitude and with joy. And may we sing to you in such an expressive way that is fitting to who you are and what you have done for us. Lord, we ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.